0: it's time to put principles ahead of politics this is sages of the sun brought to you by the new york sun
1: i'm caroline veek the co-founder and editor of the sun and i'm joined by seth lipsky our legendary editor-in-chief we're here to take you behind the headlines unblinkered principled and straight let's get started this week we sat down with lieutenant colonel scott mann a retired green Beret. With more than 20 years of army and special operations experience to talk about his heroic efforts to evacuate our Afghan allies. Lieutenant Colonel Scott Mann is also the author of the upcoming book Operation Pineapple Express and the founder of The Hero's Journey, a 501c3 committed to helping U.S. and Afghan veterans tell their stories and transition to civilian life. Let's get started. We'd love to hear sort of what the state of play is now. You know, with the continued efforts to uh, evacuate so many of the people that helped us and fought with us and are suffering now out of Afghanistan, and and what you're following.
0: Appreciate you all having me on. I appreciate the question. We've been, I've been working on uh, the book Operation Pineapple Express for about four and a half months now. Really, I've been working on it since the collapse of Afghanistan, but really diligently working on it and we're putting it out in August and honestly my biggest goal right now Caroline is is to is to try to get Afghanistan back in the news you know it's it's striking to me that no one is talking about the Afghan problem set and i mean just from a humanitarian perspective uh, just from a atrocious aspect of women's rights perspective. You would think that there's some mention of it, but but like not at all. And then in the shadow of what is, and rightfully so, a, a, an overwhelming support to the Ukrainian effort, at least from a moral perspective, just, there's none of that for the Afghan people. And that's really striking to me. So the big thing that I would start at a high level is ever since the collapse of Afghanistan, you've had probably- the largest privatized effort of veterans in history, trying to sustain a group of people who we partnered with for 20 years. And it is becoming progressively harder as we go into the one-year anniversary.
1: So what is happening in Afghanistan right now? And what do your efforts look like?
0: So, at a, you know, again, at a, at a macro level, Afghanistan obviously is, is under the control of the Taliban. There are resistance movements that are up and running now, and I think pretty prolific ones. The the new resistance front is certainly underway, and it includes some of the old names that you you might know, like Masood and some of the other old Mujahideen, the children of the older Mujahideen who stood against the Soviets and who, who stood against the Taliban back in the 90s. There are in the Panjshir Valley, there are pockets of resistance in Badakhshan. So there is a resistance underway. You just don't hear it because literally there's nothing emanating from that country. There's no media presence to speak of. There is no appetite for it, it seems like, in the United States. So it's almost like a tree falls in the forest. But there is a, a fairly pronounced resistance underway. But there's also a lot of retribution happening by the Taliban against those who partnered with us whether that's on the political front or whether that's on the military front with the special operations community that has gone on all winter and it has had a profound negative effect on the lives of particularly afghan governmental workers and employees and also certain military like special operations they have really undergone a terrible amount of retribution so that's still happening
1: what is it i would say that the, the last
0: thing i'll say uh, everything from just disappearances, where someone you're working with disappears, uh, to jail time, to beatings, and then released, and then quite a few executions.
1: Do you have any sense of magnitude? How many people?
0: We try. I'll give you maybe at a micro level, you'll get an idea. But so you have these different veterans groups that are under Moral Compass Federation. That's we formed a, a federation because it was so difficult to try to just stay in the game with donations and safe houses and everything else that these volunteer groups are doing. So we formed a a federation known as moral compass with different volunteers, mostly with soft back special ops backgrounds. But one guy in particular, his name is Mike. He has been working very closely with a group of special ops folks known as the KKA. And they partnered with the Rangers and the Delta a lot. And his manifest was in the hundreds and most of his manifest has been killed. Over the winter, either killed or just literally disappeared.
1: ah oh, horrible to hear. Um, These are the
2: people who have been killed are Afghan people who sided with us, right? Yeah, specifically
1: for our, you
0: know, for what we've been working specifically, uh, Afghan special operators. Right. Have borne the brunt of this. I think we saw a similar thing in Vietnam with the Montagnards, the Nungs the Vietnamese special forces, you know, all felt the wrath of a regime that took over and that it's very, very similar. It's very akin to that.
2: Well, you, to compare someone to the Hmong and the Mon Yard hero, uh heroes of Vietnam is an incredible compliment, frankly, I mean, in a good way.
0: Right, and well, you and I've talked about this, Seth, and and uh, you know, my mentors were Vietnam Green Berets, and everything that I learned about working with partner forces came from those
2: NCOs. Right, I once met Vong Pao, uh, who was the most extraordinary leader.
0: Right. Yes, lots, uh, lots of folks that I know in the SF community uh, talked about him, and you know something else. I've interviewed a lot of Vietnam generation Green Berets, and they are still decades later heartsick over the abandoned, in particular, of the Montagnards who Absolutely. served so valiantly Absolutely. at their shoulder. And there's even a, a few of them. Yeah, it's really, it's really, and, and it's an indication, I think, of. Of, of how profound this has been on this Afghan veteran generation, and, and I don't think we'll ever get over
2: it. Yeah, and this is why I think your story is so important. I mean, it, as does Carolyn.
1: I was struck the other day, too. I was reading a piece about, and I want to get your thoughts on their, on the resistance and how they're doing, because we've had some contact with them, and it's hard to figure out to make sense of things. But I was struck the other day reading an article about a bunch of veterans training forces in Ukraine or along the border that the U.S. government won't uh, won't train, and I just wonder: is this a long-standing tradition of sort of veterans stepping into thing to do things that they think we should be doing, but our government's not willing to do? Or is this a new is this a new trend?
0: Right, and i i've I've been asking this question for a while, Carolyn. On where does this end? you know seriously these privatized efforts which I, by the way i was you know i was a part of and and so i am a i am a fan of what particularly our veterans and other volunteers did when afghanistan collapsed they looked around and they saw that this broken promise this wholesale abandonment of a partner force was inexcusable and could not stand and even though these groups knew there was a certain limit to what they'd be able to do they did it anyway and they and they filled a void they filled the gap as best they could and i think it i think that's why it resonates with so many americans is that regardless of political party regardless of your socioeconomic status or your ethnicity we know that when we see something like that it resonates with our with with our soul we know that's what we were we were all mostly taught to honor our promises and to not abandon our friends when things get hard and we've built quite a reputation of doing that in foreign policy. And so, you know, on that scale it's great. However, I look at Ukraine and I and I and I look at the fact that US Army special forces active duty green berets were pulled out of Ukraine and put into Poland when hostilities started with the Russians. In other words, the green berets that we have always put into these places to be a buy with and through partner asset, we pulled them. And so what happened? Once again, veterans saw a gap to the breed and they did it. Now actively training and advising and operating in the war zone. I'm not sure where I come down on that because I do believe that a nation state has instruments of power for a reason. A nation state has a monopoly on violence, particularly in a state that has rule of law. And so if we get to the point where groups, armed groups are going over and essentially doing the, 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 the deeds of U.S. Army Special Forces and the defense instruments of power and diplomacy, where does that end? And, I, and I'm not saying I'm against it. I'm simply saying we are in very deep still water right now with these privatized efforts because of governmental inaction. And I think we need to have some hard conversations between the private public sectors on how we do this.
2: Did you ever hear of the September 11, 2001 Letter of Mark and Reprisal Act?
0: Well, you know, we were we were worried about reprisals in Afghanistan.
2: Right. So, you know, the Letter of Mark and Reprisal is the second major grant of war powers to Congress in the Constitution. Congress will have have the power to declare war, semicolon grant letters of mark and reprisal, which are licenses to private parties to conduct war on our behalf. We right. used be against the Barbary pirates. And yep. Ron Paul didn't want to launch a trillion-dollar effort to get Osama bin Laden. He wanted to grant letters of mark and reprisal and put up $40 billion in bounties. Didn't pass, but uh, it addressed... Uh, the problem you're raising here
0: for sure. And I know actually know people who have letters of Mark for different things. Um, I can't go into them here, but it, it's still out there, but that's not, that's not happening in the cases that Kara talked about with those groups. to the best of my knowledge, those groups were operating without that. And I think they're taking on a lot of risk and I know some of these guys and they're really, Solid people they are what I believe there's there's a level of nobility to what they're doing. They've evacuated a lot of people, they've done a lot of great humanitarian work. And I certainly don't think that they are in any way trying to get in the way of the federal government. And I don't really think they are because there's no presence there. But I just believe that we are on a pathway right now where we're seeing an unprecedented level of privatized efforts.
1: It seems concerning, like on one level, right? If they're doing things that you agree with it's heroic, but also, yeah. Where does it end? How does it interfere with a coordinated effort? In the article I read, it was, you know, they were very explicit. Like we do not talk to the federal government. They do not talk to us. uh, We stay very far away from them, which, (laughs) you know, on the one hand, okay. But on the other hand, ugh. That even makes it more concerning, potentially. Why did they pull the Green Berets out of Ukraine, Scott?
0: Well, I think it depends on who you ask. I think it was a risk-averse move, if you ask me. It was a risk-averse move by the administration and senior military leaders to avoid any chance of U.S. forces being rolled up by the Russians. And I think we've been in there for years. I think a lot of the resistance quality that you see is a a long-term enduring partnership that has was in place but I think when it came time to combat advise and really be there at their shoulder I think we I think we messed up I think we pulled our you know our most prominent capable force out and tried to do it from the next ridgeline over, you know, and and these over the horizon engagements where we let risk aversion dominate how we do things, particularly in something like this. I don't think it's I don't think it's healthy because what you see is you see these volunteer groups fill in the gap. And there's there's a certain quality to that. But I think we've got to figure out how this private public thing works. I don't think we have that answered. I don't think there's cooperation between this administration and the private sector. I don't even think there's acknowledgement, frankly, in the way that our groups in Afghanistan have been treated by this administration i don't think there has been proper acknowledgement of what the, what these groups have done the role they've played the vetting that they've brought forward of, of really highly qualified people for exfil from afghanistan and i just again i think it's kind of a, a jaundiced eye that's cast our way but yet we played a a very prominent role and i and i think that there is a lot to be said for veterans particularly special operators who are retired, but who have massive networks and experience in these hard places, gotta be worked out. There's gotta, both parties have to come to play. Private sector and public sector. And right now, that's not the case. Right now, the public sector views the private efforts as an annoyance, and, and and the private sector views the public sector not willing to do their damn job. Thank you for listening to this sample of Sages of the Sun. To listen to the whole episode and access our entire catalog, go to newyorksun.com. That's ny sun dot com.